let's open our Bibles. We're going to make chapters four, five, and six our goal this evening. And um, as you look at chapter four, this is the final chapter in which Paul is dealing uh, with the divisions and that were taking place in the first four chapters. He's addressing the argument and the debate that they were having over um, between Paul and Apollos and, and the Lord. And um, we'll get into that in just a bit. But that's what chapter four is about. And then in chapter five and six, it deals with um, um, some of the sexual sins that was happening in Corinth. And um, we'll get into that in quite a bit of detail. So let's begin with chapter four, verses one through five. Paul says, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged uh, by you or by a human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. Let's just stop right there for a little bit. Paul is saying my flesh is so tricky um, that I can't even judge myself because I might think my motive is good, but again, my flesh is so tricky, I don't even judge myself. I just put that before the Lord, and that's why he says here, um, I don't even judge myself. Um, in fact, I, or in court, but he gives that to the Lord. Um, verse four, for I know nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Now on Sunday we talked about the judgment seat of Christ. We mentioned Matthew chapter seven, where it says, judge not and you won't be judged. And what what we sought to do is make a distinction between Matthew seven and um, where it talks about in, oh, what verse was that in? Um, That he doesn't even that the spiritual man judges all things. So on one hand, we're not to judge. Why? Because I don't know your motive. Only the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ that we call the Bema seat judgment, only he can determine why you do what you do. And that's what Paul's referring to here. He says, my flesh is so tricky, I don't even judge myself. And um, I try to do it with the right motive, but the Lord is really the one who's gonna be the judge of that in the end. So, therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes. This is when um, the motive of the heart will be revealed, uh, who will bring forth to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsel of the hearts, and then each one's praise will come from God. And then, and only then, um, is it determined, well, that was a good motive. I had the right motive for doing that, and then he's gonna, on another occasion, saying, you thought you had the right motive, but there were other things that were going on, and you were stealing some of the glory. So the first five verses here is dealing um, with this whole thing about being faithful, that it's uh, required of any Christian uh, to be found faithful in what the Lord has called him to do. And um, he now brings us to six and seven because we're still dealing with the issues that was causing division in this very wealthy community that um, we call Corinth. So six and seven, now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that, you, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of and against the other. 
For who makes you different from another? And why do you have that which you did not receive? That's a question. Now, if you did not indeed receive it, then why do you glory as if you had not received it? Well, what's going on here, go back to uh, chapter one and what he's referring to. We're looking at uh, verses um, uh, chapter one, 11 through 13. Uh, For it has been declared to me, as he's writing this to the Corinthians, concerning you, my brethren, but those of Cleos' household, that there's contentions among you. Now, I say this, that each of you says, well, I'm of Paul. Another one says, well, I'm of Apollos. Another one says, well, I'm of Peter. Or another one will say, well, I'm of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And he talks about he'd only baptized really just a couple of people. And because of this, um, there was these divisions. If you go to chapter three, verses one through four, um, he calls him carnal, and we'll read the first four verses here. And brethren, I could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as babes in Christ. I fed you milk. Well, what do you feed a baby? Uh, we read in Second Peter as newborn babes, we are to desire the sincere milk of the word so that you can grow. So babies get fed milk, and that's how they grow. And um, it goes on to say, if I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for even until now you're not able to receive it, and even now you're still not able, for you're still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For one says, I'm of Paul, and another says, well, I'm of Apollos. And, and um, the whole focus was on a person and their gifts, and that's what Paul in chapter four is trying to make a contrast um, between their immaturity and what he wants them to develop into. And that's really um, the misunderstanding of, of Paul's ministry. He's basically saying to the church at Corinth, and he's kind of shaking them, you guys aren't getting it. (laughs) You're not understanding what this is all about. Um, The Bible calls us, in a positive sense, unprofitable servants. And that's the highest we should ever think of ourselves. What's interesting to me, the older Paul got, the more he realized what a sinner he was. And that's very, very true. Um, In Romans 7, he says, I know what's right. I know what's wrong. He says, why then do I do what I shouldn't do and I don't do what I should do? And then he said, oh, wretched man that I am. This was not the attitude in the Corinthian church. They were debating being carnal. And now what Paul's gonna do in the next couple verses here is he is gonna use himself as an example from where they're at and their carnality and what it really means, and he's not bragging in doing so, of uh, his own personal walk with the Lord. So let's read eight and 10. Um, Are you already full? You are already rich. You have reigned as kings without us, And indeed, I could wish you did reign, that we also may reign with you. For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last as men condemned to death, for we have been a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. And we're fools for Christ's sake. But you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished but we are dishonored. Now, let's remember a little bit about Corinth. Remember I put the the screens up? 
It was the wealthiest city in its time, much more so than, than Athens that had the two ports. And um, it had a population of 700,000 people. And I told you that two-thirds of that 700,000 were slaves. So what Paul is referring to here is that um, outwardly, um, they, had it, they had it made. Um, and now he's gonna draw the contrast between them having it very much made, having servants, more servants than every house had more servants than the people that actually lived in the house. But as for Paul, you read in verse 11, even to this present hour, we both hunger and thirst We are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. Now, this is quite a contrast. He said, you're carnal because you're arguing over wanting to be like me or Apollos. And he's saying, you're not getting it. If you want to be like me and Apollos, when this is what it's like. We're poorly clothed. We certainly don't have servants. We're beaten wherever we go. Wherever Paul went, Paul ended up in jail and homeless. Well, if they're going to say, I'm of Christ, then I would have, because some of them were arguing, I'm a Paul, I'm a Paulus, I'm a Peter, I'm of Christ. Well, if they were of Christ, Jesus is the one who said, um, the birds have nests, foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He was homeless also. So if I would summarize the first 11 verses here, Paul is trying to get um, these rich, wealthy Corinthians to understand it's not about being popular as a speaker or any outwardness that goes completely contrary to who they really are. Paul's saying who we really are is we're poorly clothed, we're beaten, and we're homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. In other words, uh, Paul was a tent maker. Um, We don't pass the plate here at Calvary Chapel unless it's for a special love offering for Haiti or or for whatever. And sometimes new people will come up and they'll say, well, you guys didn't pass the plate, how come? And I said, well, we never do. (laughs) And you didn't talk about money either. And I said, well, we do. When we get to that part of the Bible that speaks about money, we'll speak about money. But in the meantime, um, people understand the concept of tithing, and um, we just don't bring it up. What we bring up is uh, just really the opposite. Um, you gotta ask where the, um, the, the offerings are to go. We tell people, oh, we have boxes. You know, Ask an usher, they'll, they'll point one out to you. Um, but he was working with his own hands. This was something that um, Pastor Chuck did for quite a while. You want to hear, you want to hear a Chuck job story? <laughs> Certainly. <laughs> okay, well, one of the things he got five bucks for doing was uh, picking up stiffs. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay, his job was to go with the... Um, the ambulance, and um, uh, take them to the morgue. And then once they got them there, um, my favorite story is uh, the guy that was already dead, and he's sitting in the back of the uh, ambulance, and uh, the body that was laying down like this came up like this. (laughs) And he said, that wasn't worth five bucks. (laughs) That scared the five bucks out of him. When we came here, I wasn't a tent maker, I was a painter. Um, After I got out of Bible college and we were planning a little white church, well, I painted houses for seven years. And I enjoyed every minute of it. You know why? Number one, I was my own boss. Number two, I could listen to music or Bible studies all day long. I could start when I wanted to and I could quit when I wanted to. And uh, then we worked all that around ministry. But for the first seven years, that's how we got started. And that was modeled really not so much by Paul, even though he was a tent maker, but it was modeled by my pastor. 
And that's what Chuck did. Chuck also painted. Um, He was painting a house in Cottonwood, Arizona. And um, as he was going up, he wanted to clear out part of the um, stuff that was in the way. And a neighbor come up and said, whatever you do, don't mess with that rock. You know, that rock up there, that big one you see up there, don't mess with it. Because that could come down and it could do a lot of damage. So what do you suppose Chuck did? He did a little cleaning around the rock and he cleaned a little bit too much around the rock and that rock came down the hill and took out half the church. <laughs> well, some people learn the hard way, you know. And uh, I better get away from the Chuck stories because I got a lot of them back of my head. But my point is that um, he wasn't afraid to roll up his sleeves. And we're very fortunate around here. There's a lot that you don't see with the yard crew, the cleaning crew, people that are really willing to be faithful in little things. Um, Paul says we can't be faithful in bigger things unless we've been faithful in the smaller things first. Good place for an amen. Okay, so again, the contrast here is what I'm trying to draw. Um, Remember, let's pick it up in verse... 13 again, we've been deframed, we've been entreated. We have been made the filth of the world, the off-scourging of things until now. I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I want to warn you, I think a better word there is, I want you to get a right perspective of what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. And um, because they were so wealthy, and because they had servants, uh, the whole idea of them being faithful, no, 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 that's my servant's job to be faithful, not me to be faithful. And so he's using the apostles and himself as illustrations on what it really means to um, um, have that mindset. All right, let's pick it up in verse, again, he says, I'll write these things to you because I want to warn you. He says, for though you may have 10,000 instructors in Christ, what were they arguing over? Their instructors. Paul goes on to say, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. A lot of people might be teaching you over the years, but I was the one that led you to the Lord. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Don't imitate the lifestyle of a Corinthian. Imitate the lifestyle of someone who is poorly clothed, beaten, homeless, and has learned to be faithful in little things, always pressing on. And I want you to imitate me. For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ. Now, um, Paul is the one that mentored and instructed Timothy. And probably the wisest thing that Paul ever said to him is, Timothy, touch this world ever so lightly. If you're gonna be a soldier for Christ, then you have to have very small hands-on when it comes to worldly things. Why? Because we're just passing through. They're temporal. Again, Colossians 3, verse 1, if you're born again, Seek those things that are above where Jesus is. And this is a learning process because everything the world tells us to do is just the opposite. That's why they have commercials. (laughs) You need to buy one of these. Just come in, commercial I saw, just coming in church tonight, this guy comes out with the toaster is busted, puts it down, says, my toaster is busted, but I got a warranty. And the guy just laughed at him and says, you don't have a warranty. Not on a toaster. And so the idea is commercials are there um, so that you will buy their product. And um, men especially identify um, who they are by usually the job that they hold. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. It's the Lord first, family second, then maybe job third, maybe that order. 
I've actually heard people say um, it's um, family first, job second, and God third. Anybody else ever hear that besides me? And I go, no, 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 you got, you got that kind of turned all the way around. Um, it's the Lord first and his family second, and then it's your job. And that's how, as Paul wants to warn them to imitate him, that's really the order that the scriptures lay out for us. 16, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason I said, Timothy, to you who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere and in every church. So this was the way he um, taught the church in Rome. This is now the way he's trying to teach the church in Corinth. Now some are puffed up as though I were not coming to you. But I would, I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills, and I will know, not the word of the Lord, um, of those who are puffed up, but by the power. Uh, for the kingdom of God is not word, but in power. But if you want, I can come to you with a rod, or in love, in spirit, and gentleness. I like verse 18, where he talks about um, being puffed up. And this whole idea of we're going to look into in chapter 5 of um, they were puffed up. They had all this wealth. They had servants. And with that came an attitude and an air. And um, I'll come back to this verse when we talk about verse 6 in chapter 5. All right, at this point, Paul isn't in Corinth but he's gotten a report. So now we're switching gears in chapters five and six, different train of thought. Chapters one, two, three, and four are all about Paul trying to get the Corinthians um, to not look at men, uh, but to look at how the Lord would have done it. All right, we're past that. Now we're in chapters five, which is five and six go together, and it's a completely different train of thought. He says... It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife and you are puffed up, there's that word again, and am not rather mourned and he who has done this deed might be taken away from you for I indeed I'm absent in body, that means he's not in Corinth, but I'm present in spirit, because he's writing this letter, and I've already judged. Now, what did we talk about judging? The spiritual man judges everything. And he says, I've judged this situation as though I were present concerning him who has done this deed. And um, let's see, we want to go through one through eight. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when all the church is gathered together along with my spirit and with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Well, here it is again. In chapter five, he's talking about them being puffed up. Um, I don't know how many of you gals still make homemade bread. Maybe some of you do. Um, For those of you that do, you know that part of making the bread is putting in a little leaven. What does leaven do? It permeates the whole loaf of the lump of bread, and it puffs it up. And that's the analogy that he's using here. Um, You've been puffed up. Your glory is not good. Don't you know that just a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump? Just a little bit of leaven in your um, flour when you're making your bread um, permeates the whole loaf and it puffs up and that's how it rises. And he's saying basically here, everybody in the church is aware, well, let's finish through eight, um, leavens the whole lump. 
This he's referring to as everybody's aware that this relationship um, between a man and his father's wife, everybody knew about it. And nobody was doing anything about it, but Paul heard about it. He said, look, I'm not there, but this is what you need to do. In other words, he's saying, by allowing this to continue, people are gonna get the attitude that there's really nothing wrong with it. And that's why he says a little leaven leavens a whole lump. Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you truly are unleavened for indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast not with old leaven nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and in truth. Now, everyone again knew what was um, uh, taking place here and nothing was being done about it. Uh, Turn to chapter six, we'll be coming back to it a little bit later, but I wanna look at it now for just a little, a little. And I'm looking at verse um, nine of chapter six. And he says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. The church in Corinth was deceived. Neither fornicator nor idolaters and idolaters nor homosexuals nor sodomites nor thieves nor covetous nor drunkards nor revilers nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Now we'll develop this in verse 11 when we get to chapter six but my point here if you go back to chapter five is he's saying, I'm not there, but this is what you need to do. You need to take this guy and turn him over to the devil and pray for the destruction of his flesh. In other words, kick him out of the church because if you don't, what's the impression that's being assumed here is it's all right. Paul says, I'm not there, but this is what you need to do so that is flesh would uh, be dealt with, notice what it says, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. What's he saying? This guy thinks he's saved. This guy comes to church every week, everybody sees him, everybody knows what's going on. He's gotta go. It's the most loving thing Paul could do because somewhere in the back of his head, he thought he was going to heaven. Here, the Lord says he's clearly not, so that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord. Then he confirms that, well, we just read it in verse nine where it says, don't be deceived. Um, this would fall under the category of, um, of fornication or adultery. Actually, it was incest because it was in between family members. It says Gentiles aren't even doing that. So Paul is dealing uh, with this sexual sin from afar and, um, well, I, I guess we can go there just to show you that it was the most loving thing that could happen. When we get to Second Corinthians, Paul is gonna refer back to this incident. And he's gonna say, you know, when I wrote to you guys in First Corinthians chapter five, I had absolutely no pleasure in it whatsoever. Didn't wanna do it, but I had to do it. This guy's soul was at stake here Not only that, but it was affecting the whole church. So I had to do it, but I didn't like to do it, but I did it anyway. And you guys responded. Um, You wouldn't allow him to come to church, and you prayed that his flesh would be dealt with, and it was. And in 2 Corinthians 5, when we get there, the good news is the guy repented. Now Paul wants to talk to the church. He said, the guy that you had to remove has actually repented. But this is what I want you to do. I don't want you to treat him like a second-class Christian because of his previous sin. On the other hand, I want you to love out him double time. I want you to go out of your way to make sure that he doesn't have that thing going through his head and maybe say things like, 
man, you should hear some of the things that the Lord delivered me from. So um, I'm no different from you and you're no different from me. And Paul is now warning them, don't treat this guy any different. And we'll get to that when we get to um, 2 Corinthians. Um, Verse nine, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with any sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or the extortioners or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. He's clarifying that his statements is only for the church. Um, everybody has a job here. Everybody works with somebody who's uh, not saved and um, they might be living together with their boyfriend and girlfriend and um, they don't know the Lord. And so that's why Paul is saying, um, I'm talking to just Christians here. If I meant it for everybody, you would need to go out of this world because there's a, look at our our country today. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone who's named a brother, who is a fornicator or covetous or idolater or reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. Um, uh, The Amish call that shunning. (laughs) and because if that's their lifestyle and they're in the church, then you don't have fellowship with them. Why? Because it's the most loving thing you can do. Uh, So that you don't give them the impression, that's cool, you can be sleeping around and still show up at church and, you know, we'll just look the other way. He's saying, nope, you don't take them out to lunch, you don't even eat with such a person. Why? So they'll be aware, you know, this, guy, this guy's coming down kind of hard on me with the things that he's saying. No, it's the most loving thing you can do. For what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? So again, the, the, the issue of judging and discerning comes up. But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourself that wicked person. There's a lot of evil going on right now. I listen to seven different uh, programs a day and uh, the Taliban is going back to being the Taliban. And the only reason I'm telling you this is that we live in a very, very evil world and these are just the beginnings of sorrows. This is just what I heard today. That the Taliban are going door to door. They're looking for anybody that has a cell phone. Then they'll take the cell phone and they'll bring it out. And if they see any American telephone numbers on there, they'll take it and push the button. And if uh, the person picks up on the other end, they'll leave the speaker's phone on and they'll kill the person who has the telephone. They're, they're doing that as I speak, door to door. And there's not hundreds of people left in, in um, Afghanistan there are thousands of people left in Afghanistan. And the Taliban is going back to being the Taliban. And um, I heard, um, again, it was just, just this morning or yesterday, um, a woman uh, from Britain who was a reporter. Uh, when they found her, they just stoned her right there in the spot. And this is going on, and what's your point, Dwight? My point is... Um, there is evil and wickedness on a scale that's only going to get worse. Matthew 24, the Lord says, these are just the beginnings of sorrows. I came into the prayer room tonight, and I said, oh boy, I can't wait to give this Bible study. It's really going to be a happy, clappy Bible study. Not very happy, clappy so far, is it? It only gets worse. <laughs> Sorry. So he ends chapter 5 by saying, with those outside, God judges. Remember on Sunday we said there's two major judgments, the judgment seat of Christ for the saved, and then the great white throne judgment, if you're taking notes, Revelation 20, where they'll be judged um, by their works. These are people who heard the gospel but rejected the gospel. Nobody gets away with anything. 
the stoning of this girl, going house to house, the reinsurgence of ISIS. I think we ought to be worried about 9-11 this year. And um, I think there's a lot of plotting going on. They're evil. And uh, I think a lot of these people are demon-possessed. All right, chapter six. This now is changing and talking about one believer taking another believer to court. He says, dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Now remember his audience. These are baby, immature Christians. Very wealthy, have servants. So I suppose if they had um, a legal issue, protocol would have been, well, we'd take it to court. Now he's dealing with a very practical. That's what I like about verse-by-verse Bible studies. There isn't an issue that the Bible doesn't touch on. Now it's touching on the issue of taking a brother to court. And um, the idea here is, don't you realize that um, um, you're taking them to court and not before the saints? In other words, now he's instructing them if there's a legal issue that comes up, then you take it to the, the elders in the church and um, basically their job is to assess the accusation and the only question that should be is what does the scripture have to say about this issue? Good place for an amen. The judge isn't gonna say that. You come in with your lawyer and the other guy comes in with his lawyer and, um, and the judge doesn't say the first thing. He says, well, what does the scriptures have to say about this issue? He's not gonna say that. So Paul is scolding them. But again, remember they're baby Christians and they're on a learning curve. That if it's a biblical issue, then you deal it with it from a biblical perspective. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And the world will be judged by you? Are you unworthy to judge even one small matter? So he's sort of chiding them um, for taking it to the judicial system. Um, I think it's different if it's a non-believer against a believer or vice versa. Then I don't think it, then I don't think that would necessarily pertain to this. Do you know that we shall judge angels? This makes my head scratch because it says uh, we were made a little lower than the angels. But it says, it clearly says here that don't you know that you're going to judge angels how much more are the things that pertain to this life? And if you say, Dwight, what does that mean? I will say, I really don't know what that means. I believe what it says, but I don't know in what capacity the Lord is going to have us doing that. One, one, um, one of the, the ones that I think of often Just turn to the book of Jude and I'll give you one example. Verse nine of Jude, when it it talks about um, false teachers at verse eight, likewise also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, speak evil of dignitaries, yet Michael the archangel, that's the highest order of angels, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. He was in a, uh, Michael was in a, uh, making a judgment. I'd like to know, this brings up more questions than it gives answers. For some reason, the devil wanted Moses' body. And um, instead of um, duking it out, by the way, they do duke it out in Revelation chapter 12, angel wars. Uh, but he simply said, the Lord rebuke you. And, um, and that was the end of, of, 
of that judgment there. All right, back to Corinthians. There Michael judged an angel. But the way that he did it was just by rebuking him. Verse four says, if then you have judgment concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least deceived by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. In other words, um, don't take it to a legal system. Find the youngest Christian in the church. And because he's born again, he's gonna have more discernment than any judge that sits on a court because the judge isn't born again. Is everybody with me on it? Now there's, there's natural things that we have discernment as soon as the spirit of God comes in you. And so he says, I speak this to your shame. Taking it to court? No. Get the, get the youngest born again believer and he'll have more discernment and he'll make a more accurate judgment in the matter. He says, I say this to your shame. It is so that there's, um, this is a question. I say this to your shame. Is it so that there's not a wise man among you, not even one, who will be able to judge between his brethren? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. Oh, that's a great witness. Here we got a couple of Christians going at it, and um, what kind of a witness is that in front of an unbeliever? Now, therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept the wrong? Now he's saying just suck it up and, and don't mess up your Christian witness by going before people that aren't saved with this. Uh, just accept the wrong, even if you think you're right. Okay, I'm wrong, even though I know I'm right. <laughs> I'll accept that rather than take it before a non-believer who is thinking, this is how born-again Christians deal with uh, these sort of issues? No, just accept the blame. Take it on yourself. Why do you not rather let yourself be defrauded? No, you yourselves do wrong and defraud, and you do these things to your brethren. Now, we're back to um, verse 9. 9 through 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived is what should be underlined here in your Bible. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. The list that I just read are people that are, they are deceived in thinking they're actually going to heaven. All right, a little sidetrack here. Um, I had the gals in the office do a little research for me today. And I wanted to know how many different denominations, churches in the state of Wisconsin um, either have uh, LGBT in the church on an ongoing basis or behind the pulpit. And um, I'm just going to read this off to you on Sunday. I'm actually going to put it up on the screen because I actually have a map here where all these churches are. So in light of what we just read, and in light of, of the world in which we live today, every day I see at least one or more commercial that is promoting gay men or gay women. You didn't see that two years ago. You didn't see that five years ago. Now it's becoming more and more and more. Now I'm gonna ask you a question. Do you think being salt and light, that it should be the church that is influencing society, or do you think society should be influencing the church? And everybody's thinking to themselves, Dwight, that's a no-brainer. Of course, the church is salt and light. We're the ones that are supposed to be influencing the society and the world in which we live. That is not happening. 
we have both Russ Miller and Jay Seeger here. And I think I quoted this on Sunday. 85% of the people that are brought up in a born-again church, by the time they leave high school, 85% of them and gone into college have lost their faith. And it's primarily over one issue, and that issue is evolution. And if you spend uh, a week with Russ Miller and Jay, they just finished um, what we call the, uh, the staircase tour of the Grand Canyon. We started in Zion National Park, make our way down to Bryce, and end up at the Grand Canyon. And you can't spend <laughs> that week with Russ Miller And he doesn't approach it from a biblical perspective. He approaches it from a scientific perspective. He asks simple questions why um, every one of the layers in the Grand Canyon is 400 feet apart. All these stratas laid down. And you'll find trees in there and, and seashells. And if you have any common sense at all, uh, you'll ask a question, what is a seashell doing at 1,500 feet in the Grand Canyon, and how did that get there anyway? Well, the only logical explanation to that is that one time there was a catastrophic flood that made its way down, and it wasn't the Colorado River that we rode on that created the Grand Canyon over billions and billions and billions years of time. If that's the case, I live on the Fox River. Uh, the Fox River should be at least a mile deep from where I live. If it was true there, why it wouldn't be true anywhere else? No, this is a very unique anomaly that's there. We have all these dinosaurs at Dinosaur National Park. I think it's in Colorado or Wyoming. Visited at one time. And basically, it's a dinosaur graveyard because It's sort of a a box canyon. And when the flood actually came in, um, we know that there was a geological shift at that time. And the reason we know that is because we have mammoths at the North Pole that still have DNA and they still have uh, fresh food in their stomach at the North Pole. Something happened. (laughs) And as a result, the whole world flipped upside down. My point is, if, um, if you have children that are in the teen, in school age and you can ever afford a trip to the Grand Canyon with Russ, um, they'll have something to spit back at their professors uh, when they go back to college. Because all of our colleges today, well, forget the colleges, we're going to grade school now where they're teaching the kids, um, do you know what gender you are? Do you know if you're a boy or if you're a girl? And you're planting those kind of seeds in their head? Let's face it, they have your kids a lot more than you do. Seven, five, six, seven, eight hours a day, something like that. How much time do you get with them to be the influence? Okay, now I'll probably say so I'll get myself in a little bit of trouble. I don't know how any born-again Christian can send any of their kids to the public school system today because of what they're teaching them. I don't know how you can do it, knowing full well that one of the main things they're trying to do is change the sexual identity and cause confusion. Am I a boy or am I a girl? Well, I never thought of it before, but now I'm thinking about it because my teacher's talking about it. Here's a list I'll read off and compare it to what we just read here. I mean, is verse, first of all, is verse nine clear enough to everybody? And don't be deceived. Scully says, this list, you're not going to heaven. All right. List of denominations and churches that teach just the opposite. American Baptist Church, All Alliance of a Baptist, Church of the Brethren, Community of Christ, Disciples of Christ, Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, the Fellowship, the Mennonite Church, the Metropolitan Community Church, Quakers, that one surprised me, Presbyterian Church of the USA, the Reformed Church in America, the Episcopal 
Church, the United Church of Christ, United Methodist Church, and of course the Unitarian Universalist, which means everybody's going to heaven, and that is what our current Pope believes now and, and teaches. I have a lengthy letter here. I'm just going to paraphrase it. If you want a copy of it, I'll give it to you. The Pope has said gays are welcome in the church, but priests cannot bless same-sex unions. Um, homosexuals are welcome to come to Calvary Chapel. But if they stay more than two weeks, then I'm going to talk to them. Does everybody understand what I just said? Are you saying, Dwight, you wouldn't, you wouldn't allow a homosexual to come to Calvary Chapel? Oh, absolutely, let them come. I, I want them to be here while I'm teaching on 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. And um, tell them uh, and ask them just straight, you know, we simply believe the Bible here. Don't get upset at me. <laughs> this, is, this is who we have the problem with right here. And all I'm doing is reading it. So are you welcome? Um, absolutely. Was that I'm planning on going here, but I'll, I got a little bit of time, and this is um, personal. Uh, in the Doville family, every one of my brothers and sisters, save one, is not only saved, but actively serving the Lord in some capacity. And um, except one. And um, that was um, my brother. Uh, we did his funeral um, up here, but we had to let people know, this was one of the hardest things to talk about, knowing that you have a loved one that's not in heaven because he lived the alternative lifestyle his entire life. My mother prayed for him every single day, uh, visited him. I took him to a Calvary Chapel once in um, Queens Creek, Arizona. I know the pastor there, and he knows me, and he knows that I have a brother that lives in, lives in Queens Creek who lives the alternative lifestyle. So before the service starts, uh, he recognizes me. I go and recognize him. He actually comes out of John Higgins Church. And he says, Dwight, good to see you. I said, well, it's my mom, and, and this is my brother. And he says, the brother that lives in Queens Creek? Because he knew. And I said, yeah, that's the one. And he says, what? I need to talk to you. He pulled me aside. He says, all I'm talking about this morning is homosexuality. You sure you want to stay? And I said, this is no coincidence. <laughs> There's no coincidence at all. I mean, this would be the morning you decided we just happened to say, let's, let's visit Calvary Chapel, Queens Creek, and this is, this is your topic this morning? No, we'll stay. And, of course, it was very, very quiet after the service because I, th I think he pulled some punches. I honestly did. I honestly do. And I honestly wish he probably wouldn't have. For the same reason that Paul said to in Second Corinthians, First Corinthians five, I'm not there, but I'm going to judge the situation. Kick him out. Most loving thing he can do. Make him aware that he's a sinner, and that he's not going to go to heaven. He's going to go to hell. So, every person here that I'm speaking to here and live stream knows somebody that is living the alternative lifestyle. A lot of our young people are growing up very confused because they don't know. There's a lot of people that are doing it just because they think it's cool for no other reason. But my Bible says, um, unless I want to deal with this because the argument primarily is, well, I was born this way and there's nothing I can do about it. And this is what the Bible has to say about that. Verse 11. And he says, and such were some of you but, but you were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. So much for the argument that you were born this way. No. Uh, Paul clearly said here, you were like that, but then you got saved and you got what? Born again. And uh, so you weren't born that way. Let me put it to you in these terms. The God that I know would he create a person as a homosexual 
would he create them and then write in 1 Corinthians 6 and say that the person that he created a homosexual is now facing eternal damnation. I don't think so. Not the Jesus I know, not the God that I know. So if you just think it through logically, if you believe in the God of the Bible, that he would create a person with this lifestyle and then say that person is condemned for all eternity? No. Nope. But uh, again, this is the importance of, um, of knowing the Lord. Let's finish the, the chapter out. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Food for the stomach, and um, food for the stomach, and the stomachs for food. But God will destroy both of them. And the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also be raised up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. When two people come together sexually, they become one. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? That's what I just said. For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. He's quoting Genesis 2 here. Um, and the wedding that I just did uh, this last Sunday, a week ago Sunday, I talked to the people there, and I said, well, they came down the aisle to people, but they left being one. They came down two, and it says here, and the two shall become one flesh. But he who joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. You know, <laughs> the thing about the word flee here and this particular sin sexual sin uh, you know you read other places um, uh, resist the devil and he'll flee from you amen hold up the shield of faith that quench the fiery darts of the enemy so you're uh, holding up a shield and, um, and uh, you're resisting but this is different that's not the word that's being used here this word is more stronger he says, don't try to fight it. Run from it. And to me, it's putting more of an emphasis on the greatness of this temptation. So flee. Don't hold up a shield. Don't try to resist it. Run. <laughs> Run as fast as you can. Every sin that a man does outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. What do you mean you are not your own? Well, it means, in verse 20, for you were bought with a price. So you're not your own, why? Because you've been bought by the most priceless commodity the world has ever known and then is the blood of Jesus Christ you were bought with a price therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirits which are God um, we're the bride of Christ and, um, and as a result his spirit lives in us and um, the warning in 5 and 6 in this church, we'll close with, with this thought, is Paul's got to deal with these guys that he's saying, I wish I could deal with you on a, a deeper level, but you guys are real cardinal because you're still arguing over which speaker you like best. Um, and you're spoiled because of the society that you live in, the prominence that you have, the wealth that you have, the servants that you have, but that's not who we are. And then he goes on, and, and exposes, and because of this mentality, it led to this leaven that was permeating the church in Corinth. And Paul gets really firm with how to deal with this particular individual. But I wanna close with this thought. I wish I could say it about my brother, I can't. This guy repented. And when we get to 2 Corinthians 5, 
Paul's going to say, you guys love on this guy extra hard and don't treat him second class. He sent. I told you to, to boot him out so the devil could deal with him, so he thinks he's saved. He's not. And um, so sometimes the most loving thing to do might be one of the hardest things you might ever have to do, especially when it comes to family. Amen? I told you it was going to be a happy, clappy Bible study. Let's stand and we'll close in prayer. Lord, we thank you that your word deals with every subject, every issue. Um, Training baby carnal Christians how to grow and mature and become more like you. And also, Lord, dealing with um, um, what's going on in our world today and it's deteriorating just like Rome did from within. Uh, more and more becoming more and more morally corrupt. And so, Lord, you tell us here not to try to hold up the shield of faith or um, resist the devil. You just tell us to run from it. And so, Lord, when, when and if we fall into these temptations, let us um, heed your word and do exactly that. So as we go this evening, Lord, once again, we pray for the rest of uh, this night. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.